and welcome. I am so thrilled that you are here. And welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. Today I get to interview another beautiful guest. And this interview was done over Zoom and is actually the second recording. The first one, the sound was not good. So I asked Wendy to re-record and she so graciously fit me into her schedule. And we got to do it again. And this episode I thought was just as powerful, if not more powerful than the first one. So I'm excited to share this guest with you. And as always, head over to my website and get subscribed to my mailing list. I have a lot of freebies that are about to start coming down um, through the pipe. And my first one is going to be how to trust your intuition. It's a free guide with really some really beautiful steps to start leaning into that. And that will be releasing soon. So make sure you're subscribed to my email and following me on social media at Amanda Joy Loveland. And as always, like, subscribe, share this podcast with those in your life so that we can all help each other. And without further ado, let's dive into the episode with Wendy Jensen. Awesome. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for, my goodness, we're doing this a second time for our listeners because the first the first time the sound on my end was so bad. I've never done this before. So we're recording again and I'm sitting down with Wendy Jensen. Now, do you always go Wendy Wilcox Jensen or just Wendy Jensen? No, it's just Wendy Jensen. Okay. I was trying to remember on your books, if it's Wendy Jensen or the whole. Yeah. I'm thinking about just taking my middle name and going Wendy Jade. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing this again. And and it'll be fun to see what gets to come out this time. Yeah, I'm excited. Everything happens for a reason. I hold on to that. So it'll be a, a good interview. I'm excited. Well, and what was fun for me is I love, I've enjoyed this podcast and how, so, you know, I have a friend or somebody said, hey, you should interview this person. And then it just kind of is this ripple effect that's constantly going. And a good friend, a friend, a good friend of mine, that's a newer acquaintance of yours or new friend of yours and said, Hey, you want to, you want to join this Facebook group? Cause you have, what is the name of your enlightened? What is the name of your Facebook group? It's empowered former LDS. And she, and she invited me to that. And then she said, you ought to interview Wendy. And so after our last interview, what was fun, because I didn't know you is I, when I was getting some of the links to your books, I'm like, Wendy, I have your book. <laughs> right in your house. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's just, so it's fun. It's fun, but, um, yeah. Do you want to just dive in with, I know. Yeah. Do you want to dive in with your Mormon story or wherever sure. you want to go? Sure. I'll, I'll start with, I was, um, my soul chose the genetic, <laughs> the genetic scenario of being born to an LDS family generational. Like both my parents were a uh, seven generation Mormon and they crossed the plains and built temples together. And then I, um, and I was raised in the white mountains in Sholo, Arizona. Mm-hmm. So it's very densely LDS there. Um, but it's the Arizona type of LDS. And so we kind of tease that there are Utah Mormons and then there's Arizona Mormons. Well, I was, what's, it, in- what's the difference between Utah and Arizona Mormons? Well, of course, Arizona Mormons think they're way better than Utah Mormons. Utah Mormons <laughs> are just too weird. I honestly, well. I don't know. <laughs> I think we talked last time. That was my. It might be my accent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. I'd ask. I'm like, do you have a little accent? And it's just, I don't know. Everyone, you know, it just depends, right? Where we're all from. Yeah. My parent, my mom was raised in Fillmore, Utah, and my dad was raised in Cody, Wyoming, and then here in Mesa, Arizona, and they met at BYU. 
And so I'm the second of six children and um, I was very devout. My parents did all the things and we, you know, really lived their religion and they had uh, their six kids. All six were baptized. All six have been married in the temple and three, three have now left and and gone a different uh, route. But um, living in a small town, I had a lot of LDS friends and was really similar. I imagine to being raised in Utah. So um, I, my dad was a bishop. I mean, we, we really did all the things. And when I got married, it wasn't until I had my first daughter at 20, because I got married at 18. Oh I had God. my first baby at 20, which is very typical of an LDS woman in my, in, my, in the area era I was raised in. Um, I kind of got downloads of the indoctrination because I started to feel like, oh my goodness, it's a possibility I would be separated from her in the next life. If I do not live this, these gospel things I'm teaching and the religion that I've been learning, um, if I don't learn that, then I could very well lose my child in the next life into a young mom. That's kind of an insidious uh, doctrine to implant right. in her head. Because at that moment I got my hair on fire with the gospel and I was going to live it perfectly. And I started to develop narcissistic tendencies and that I wanted to be so perfect. And I couldn't even look at my own faults and my own weaknesses. And, and um, because of my insecurities and my, my fears, I was a very rigid mom and a very, I, I call it a scary mom. Mm-hmm. And um, because I was trying to live it so perfectly so that I wouldn't be a stumbling block for my children who might choose differently in the net in the, in when they got older. So it was just kind of this toxic environment I was creating for my family and it got really dysfunctional, especially in my marriage. And so I started looking for ways to heal and help. And what I learned when I met um, a healer friend that I learned who did, who, who I met, who did rapid eye technology mm-hmm. at the time, she held beautiful space for me. And she listened to me complain about, you know, how righteous I was living and everybody else just needs <laughs> to comply. And we would all get this celestial kingdom. <laughs> I, I know probably underneath she's laughing going, Oh dear, here we go again. But, um, she did ask me a very powerful question and this changed the trajectory of my life. First of all, because it was a powerful question and anybody who knows me knows that that is now my gift and my, that I offer to the world is what question can you ask yourself that will help unravel and unlock the blocks in your life? And she asked me this question. She said, Wendy, do you ever feel like you're superior? And Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to look at that. But I let it penetrate my psyche and it kind of bypassed my ego mind and it interrupted this dialogue that I had that I needed to be perfect. And deep down inside, I said, Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm pretty much the most obedient person I know. (laughs) I'm pretty much, you know, the most dedicated daughter of God on the planet. And I'm doing everything right and the best that I know. And it made me sick inside to say all that. And I just, broke open because it was, I was so vulnerable at that time. And I just started to cry because I knew that was, that that's not the person that I want to be. And she gave me so much comfort. And she said, Wendy, I want to tell you something. That idea of superiority is a higher form of inferiority. Mm-hmm. And when she said that it, my heart just broke open because I was trying so desperately to be perfect because inside I felt so insufficient 
And like, I was never going to be good enough. And that I had been tasked with a burden that I could never fulfill. And it felt so absolutely devastating to me. And because she held that space and we did so much deep, deep inner work, I knew that that's what I wanted to do for other people is to hold Mm -hmm. that really sacred space with non-judgmental and to help them see, you know, who they are and what's possibility and to give them the tools to be able to transform their life. And so I started into uh, the field of uh, human development and healing arts. And I kind of started up that way. Well, how long ago was this? I mean, as you're talking, I'm sure this has got to feel lifetimes ago that this was your experience. Yeah, that was in 2005. Wow. Yeah. So I started in in, uh, the just understanding myself and doing the deep dive and all my shadow work and all my inner child work. And then I started taking on clients and helping them. I started teaching classes and I I started to understand my gift of asking relevant questions, which I call mm. the art of elegant inquiry. <laughs> and I, love I started writing the book, The Healing Questions Guide. And that is a resource um, to help people do their inner work based on what's happening in their body. Mm. So um, that was a three-year project. And by the end of that wow. was 2015. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that, I realize that all of the things that are manifesting in our body physically originate from a belief about ourselves that's incongruent with our true identity. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is so many of the things had one component and that is that we had to somehow developed contempt against the self. Mm-hmm. And so then I asked myself the elegant question of what is the original thought that was planted in me that caused me to develop contempt against myself. Mm. And that's when I became willing to challenge my religious upbringing (laughs) because I realized that it originated in the space where I was taught I was a daughter of God. And then I was also taught that I wouldn't be with my family in the next life if I wasn't complicit. And so I developed the contempt against myself because I can never be good enough. And You really dove into the psyche of that, which is powerful and challenging. I mean, I think self-reflection, especially for you to actually acknowledge this is who I was and say that you were a narcissistic mother. And that has to be a really hard claiming piece of recognizing that this is who I was. And obviously you're nowhere close to that anymore, but man, that's powerful. It's interesting in that I am an empath. I was born an empath. I've always been extraordinarily sensitive of other people's feelings. But because I was being raised in a narcissistic environment, I was bringing on narcissistic um, strategies and coping coping mechanisms. And so I was putting on two faces. I was worried about my image. I was not not open to hearing um, what I wasn't doing right. And it just really weird things that were incongruent with my true nature, Mm. I was developing an effort to um, fit into that mold that was being expected of me because I was told that that was the way and that was what was going to make me happy. And I never in a million years thought to challenge that idea. And when I did, it's like my whole world opened up. Interesting at the same time, because of my fascination with the mind and how the mind manifest things in the body and manifest experiences on this physical plane. Um, I also, <laughs> I'm, my mind is going blank right now. 
You're oh, totally I was again. also looking into cult dynamics. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So trying to remember, there was a sh- there was wasn't there a show on Netflix not that long ago explaining something? What was it? And it was, went into cults, and one of them was diving into the Mormon religion. Mormon religion was highlighted with some of the cults. Well, I know there, there's Blue La Rich. That's probably the newest one. But this just one's a little it. older, probably a year or two older, or a year or two ago. But yeah. Well, a lot of people are starting to question their religion because of all these cult uh, cult shows are showing up. They're starting to see a lot of the components in their own um, beliefs. Yeah. And so at this time, I was observing some fiasco that was going down in the FLDS community with Warren Jeffs. And I observed the women and how they were not emotionally charged because their their children were being taken away from them. They were all wearing the same hairdo and the same colors and their syntax and the way that they spoke and their lack of emotion and their vacancy in their eyes was fascinating to me. I thought they've been so insulated and so secured and isolated in this community that they haven't developed any other variants. And so that's why I started looking into cult dynamics, not realizing that eventually I would start deconstructing and realizing that I was actually raised in a cult and that it's Mm -hmm. a classic cult, but it's subtle. And the focus is always on all the awesome, wonderful things, but not realizing that underneath the programming was extensively um, damaging to my soul. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful listening to some of your story and also knowing what you do now with how it, it did crack you open. Like here was a foundation of what you had been born and raised in and really bought into. And you, you went all in, which I think is beautiful with anything we experience in life. And then was cracked open and now propelled you to really where you're at now, which I'm excited because I know you're going to talk about more of that, but I mean, really, you know, when we look at things from a soul perspective, is it possible that we choose certain dynamics like Mormonism and being in that type of an environment to really propel us into our soul's mission? And I believe that's true, at least for my, my personal experience. Um, And as I'm listening to yours, I'm like, well, man, I mean, if that's not going to get your attention I don't know what else would have, you know, to really like, okay, Wendy, you're here to do this, you know? Well, I absolutely agree with you because, because I was all in, I, I was continuously asked to be the gospel doctrine teacher in any ward that I ended up when we were kind of gypsies and that we moved every two or three years. <laughs> and I was always, you know, within a couple months, they would recognize me as someone who was confident in the gospel. And so I became gospel doctrine teacher. And in doing that, I got the, the, all, all of the theology really embedded deep in, into me and it was tightly woven into me. And so when I woke up at that time, even though I had all of these skills, processing skills, emotional maturity, uh, all of these things that I had been learning and practicing with my clients and my students, it almost, it's, I, I still collapsed. I completely spiraled downward and I lost my identity and I didn't understand God and the universe anymore that that religion had given me an answer and solution and structure for everything. And when that collapses, it feels very mm-hmm. daunting. It's, it's scary. I, that's what I call um, the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's when everything that you thought was normal, right, natural, the way the world is suddenly collapses and you are forced to go inward and to figure it all out 
on your own instead of trying to map on to some religious theology. And when it's all you've ever known, and it is, and it has been the influence in every choice and decision you've made, including your merit, who you marry, what you wear, what you eat, how you dress, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. Um, every aspect of my life was influenced by this religion. And so it really impacts us at a deep, deep level. And because I went spiraling downward, still trying to use all my tools, I realized this is a very complex betrayal trauma. And I want to help carve a way out of it. Because what I was began to see is that everyone who was at the exit gate and just leaving the church, they're so wounded and we're broken. And we were trying to perform triage on each other while we were still bleeding out ourselves because we didn't have any way to relieve so much of the trauma and we have trauma in the church and then we have trauma when we leave it. Mm -hmm. So now we have these layers of trauma. And so as in my journey to observe my own healing, I wanted to create a pathway for other people. Not so they could do what I could do, but so I could point the way and that they would be able to create meaning in it. And they would be able to create their own authentic spiritual pathway instead of trying to to map on to the one that was given to them at birth. And so that has been my journey in my coaching now. It was specifically for people. Well, I still work with people who are not in faith transition, but uh, most of my clients are working through that religious transition, whether it's ex-Jehovah's Witness or ex-Evangelical or ex-LDS, mostly Mm -hmm. ex-LDS, because that was my my story. But interestingly enough, all the components are the same, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no matter what religion you're deconstructing from. Yeah, there's so many similarities for sure. Yeah. So you you have left Mormon religion now. How how many years ago did you leave? Um, that that's been about six years ago, six seven years ago. And did your husband leave with you? Did your children? What did that look like? So ironically, at the time, my my husband's testimony also collapsed, but for an entirely different reason. And this is what I found in my coaching: is that everybody has a, a, a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Where whatever's on their shelf gets too heavy, but it's it usually has something to do that that has to do with their values. Yeah. And they start to experience cognitive dissonance in one of those values, and then everything starts to collapse. And so, yes, he left at the same time. And because I got married so young and it was such a fresh thing, I think we met we met in July and we were married in December mm, wow. of the year, same year that I graduated from high school. We're just little <laughs> babies. Um, but he was a return missionary and he had the priesthood and he loved me. And so, you know, what, what was, what could go wrong with that? (laughs) And when we both left the church, we finally had something in common besides our children. And we had really grown each other up with very little, very little skill set, and, um, you know, kind of dysfunctional parents that did the very best that they, they knew how. And, they're both of our parents are awesome. I don't, they only did what they knew how, and they were awesome at that. So, um, we kind of had something in common now, and it was this religious wound and we talked about it and we helped heal each other. But when that was over, we looked at each other and our youngest little baby was graduating from high school. Not a baby. 
No, <laughs> we knew we were looking at an empty nest and we just kind of looked at each other and said, do we want to spend second life together? And we agreed that, you know, what the amazing experience that we had together in raising our five children, that that had come to that to a complete cycle circle and it was ready to close it. Yeah. Um, so we, we consciously uncoupled spared a lot of dark emotions or any kind of fighting in between our, between our kids or between each other. And we went our separate ways to go find love. Mm. That's beautiful. That's where we are today. (laughs) So when you stepped out and then you had this kind of transition and moving out and, um, would you, how long would you say that it took for you? Cause I think it's really beautiful that you spoke to, even though you had all of these abilities and you're a gospel doctrine teacher and all these, these awarenesses were coming in, it was still painful. It was still a dark night of the soul to go through it. How long do you feel like you really took to go through that process and really, I mean, in my personal opinion, we're always progressing, right? We're always moving and always kind of moving into new aspects of ourselves, but how long do you think it really took for you to feel like you had a stable foundation again? That's a good question. You see, I, I'm a white, <laughs> white um, Western girl, and I'm an overachiever, and I'm a pleaser, and I'm an empath. And so I am a winner in LDS culture. <laughs> and it really fed my ego. And, you know, I fit in every, you know, I could, I was a superstar. And So when that happens to you, as I found with my other coaches, you collapse big and heavy and hard because really your identity is wrapped up in how well you live um, the the church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so for me, it's been, it was a slow burn coming out because I didn't want to, I just didn't want to leave because I knew the fallout was going to be so tremendous for me (laughs) my whole life. I didn't have friends that weren't LDS. And so. And I had also built my business. And so my entire practice was with LDS women and teaching spiritual principles. Wow. So I knew that once I came out as no longer holding a temple recommend that I would lose my clientele. And so I toggled in between that for two years, trying to teach spiritual principles that fit within the parameter of the gospel while I'm still learning all these more expanded spiritual principles until I couldn't, I couldn't walk that line anymore. I couldn't. It was out of integrity with what I was teaching. And I knew I had to come clear with that so that I could continue my own growth and development. And when I did that, of course, I did lose my entire practice. I was accused of doing, you know, evil things and (laughs) taking people out of the church, which has never been my intention, my intention. So for me, it was those two years toggling in and out and then making an effort to really deconstruct and clear out all the programming probably took me at least three years, but I will just say every day, there's still a little piece of something that I'm going, Oh, we have a little remnant here and a little remnant there. (laughs) And I kind of clean it out and clear it out. And um, in this space, it's just caused me to realize how much of it is woven into my genetic makeup and I'm recreating and rebirthing something entirely new that my um, DNA is not familiar with. And it is a process. And so one of the things I encourage my clients to have is just grace and compassion Mm -hmm. and patience with themselves 
Mm-hmm. That is so long as they're moving even slowly in the direction to knowing their true self and, and becoming the sovereign authority in their life, that it, it will eventually give way and they will be able to know their, their full identity without the layers of indoctrination. Yeah. When you, when you finally made that, okay, I can't do this anymore because it's feeling out of integrity for me. There, there's an aspect that we, we, when we choose to leave, especially when you're leaving, you have all these things embedded. There's an element of major trust that goes in, right? And yet God's dying. The God that we knew. That we knew. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember or, or if you can speak to that at all of what that process was like for you with trusting in something or trusting in something that was just going on inside. I'm not, yeah, I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing that. So the epic theme of, of this whole transition is that word trust, because we put all our trust into the leaders of the church, all our trust into the gospel that was being taught to us. Mm-hmm. And um, ironically, we're not taught to really trust ourselves. Right. But even within the periphery of that doctrine, we have spiritual experiences because we are spiritual beings. And unfortunately, we align those spiritual experiences as being because we're members of the church and because the, the Holy Ghost has been given to us and because we live under the umbrella of the priesthood. I'm having these spiritual experiences, never really considering that every soul on the planet is having spiritual experiences and they're not attributing to their religious upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we connect them with our religious upbringing. So when we leave, even though we're at the height of our intuition, it means we're willing to go against everything we've ever, ever understood to stop betraying ourselves. That is the moment we start trusting ourselves because we have so much to lose if we're wrong. Mm-hmm. But we trust ourselves to know that this doesn't feel right for me and I can't go forward with this anymore. But it's almost as if the moment you make that decision, you look back at your spiritual experiences and how much you believed in it, and you start doubting yourself and you stop trusting that intuitive gift of yours. And one of the things I teach my clients is you have to understand you were never given the whole truth. You were operating with a very small portion of the truth. Mm-hmm. And the minute that you receive the full gamut, you gave yourself permission to study the forbidden and, you know, the uh, unapproved doctrines <laughs> and mm-hmm. to study the history. Um, the moment you were given all that, you used your intuition and you were led out. And that should be an indication that you are trustworthy, mm-hmm. that you can trust yourself to find the way. And that you can lean into those inner, I, I call them your, your inner muscles, your spiritual yeah. muscles to, to really carve a way out for yourself that you, you can be a person that will make good and wise choices when you're given all the information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that you talked on the brain for a minute because the brain is something that's fascinating to me as well. And one of the things that I've been learning more and more about and even having personal experiences around it for years and most recently going through um, something newer, every time we hit some sort of a threshold, right? Like we're leaving religion, our subconscious is around to help keep us safe. And a lot of times we don't know how active it is. And it's like, 
you know, you have the conscious mind that's driving the ship and the subconscious mind that's there trying to, you know, navigate. And, and when they're not in congruence, now the conscious mind is trying to go over here and say, Hey, we're doing, we're going charting a new path. And then conscious mind starts freaking out. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in my experience and my studies and what I've been learning that I think is really helpful for any of us that are going through transition. Anytime we ask for something new and we're, we're wanting to have a new experience, our brain will start freaking out because it's meant to keep us safe. And it's been doing that. And so it's the conscious mind or our super conscious mind, even saying we've got this, everything's okay. And just allowing ourselves to observe that. But it, it is fascinating to watch what happens. And I loved how you so eloquently spoke to, yes, you are at the height of your intuition and you're stepping out of this and all of it, and we all do it. We start freaking out. I don't even know how to trust myself. I don't know what intuition is because guess what? I don't have the Holy ghost anymore. And that's what I was told was my, I mean, essentially that's what intuition is. And it, it's really is a fascinating it's a fascinating process and it's fascinating that someone created this. That's always fascinating to me as well, you know, with, with the depths of the psyche that they could go into with this religious construct. And then the, the greatness and the courage that it takes for all of us to make that choice of this isn't in alignment for me and I'm choosing to step out. And then, and then going into a brave new wilderness, like how ironic, you know, with stepping out of the garden of garden of Eden into a brave new wilderness. And that's essentially what we've all done. And yet we were never kicked out. You know, I, I like that. I, um, it, re- it reminds me of a story that I just read in uh, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.'s book, The Five Levels of Attachment. Um, and he talks about, you know, he had been raising his kids in California and he had a little three-year-old and she was going to preschool and she just loved her house loved her life. It all gave her security. And she understood it all when she knew that they were moving. And he started packing up her toys and he started packing up her clothes and her house is empty. And she just kind of went a little bit unhinged. And she was afraid because she didn't know what her new life was going to look like. And she was just in a terrible panic in that she was losing everything that felt familiar to her and fun to her. And how um, when they moved to California, you know, she was still a little bit you know, skeptical of everything, but then she started to see that her room looked a little bit similar and they got her into another preschool and she made new friends and she was completely fine. But it's one of those things where we get to observe the mind and how it operates that way. That subconscious mind is our programmed mind. Um, some Some people will link it, link it to the ego. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear things like even the elite are leaving or um, they'll, the same will even deceive the elite. I, I'm really butchering that quote. No, I know. I think most people know. Yeah. But what happens, and we're we're also told we're so proud. And how do you think, you know, there's so many smart and brilliant people and the prophets in the church, and you think you know better than them. And you have, you risk losing everything. And so you must be so proud and your ego is operating. And the truth is your ego is being shut down at that time because you risk Mm -hmm. losing everything, everything that's familiar to you. You, you risk losing, you know, family relationships, losing your identity, your relevance in your community and your dignity. That is not your ego at play. That is your higher self saying, I have something more for you if you're willing to grow. Right. And so that's your super conscious that you were talking about, that higher self. And when we're taught in the church that the Holy Ghost is something that's given to us through priesthood power, 
And when only when we're worthy. <laughs> when you're worthy and qualified. Right. For sure. Then it's operating and it will never invite you to go outside the boundaries of the doctrine mm-hmm. or the brethren. That you can be assured that if, you know, what you think is your intuition is guiding you into more expansive gospel or, or a different path, you can be assured that that's probably Satan. Yeah. And so to me, your intuition is obscenely manipulated in, in the LDS church. I mean, at least in Jehovah's Witness, they're taught not to trust in their heart. Mm, I don't no, know what's I didn't worse. know that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's worse to not trust yourself or to trust yourself only if it fits within these boundaries. Oh, that hurts. I mean, I do heart opening retreats. So that just hurts my heart yes. that they're taught not to trust their hearts. Because this is where our wisdom, our intuition, in fact, the heart math, I was watching this video the other day, the intuition lies within the heart. And they were doing this study where they had put probes on different people, put a computer screen in front of them. And they would do either fearful or peaceful calming images. And they would always have a little bit of a gap between each one, like three seconds. And they would watch the heart rate. And the heart rate would always dictate what the image was. So it would start racing before the image even came up on screen, if if it was a scary one. And, you know, what they're proving is that the heart actually knows what's about to come before it even comes. And that our intuition lies within the heart. So again, it is, it is when you pop out of it, it's somewhat brilliant that someone knows the constructs of the human psyche and intuition and the brain and all of that to develop these things, to suppress it so that it's control and manipulation. You know, it's fascinating on one hand, what can be created. I mean, our brains are supercomputers. We are, we are capable of so many things and so many experiences. Jesus, Jesus talked about this. Can you do? And then some, you can do more than what I'm doing. It wasn't anyway, you and I could get off on lots of tangents. (laughs) It's so true because as you're talking about, you know, opening that, that heart chakra, um, because of my training in, in energy work that I was taught about the development of the human psyche based on the chakra system, you know, root mm. chakra, our right to be on the planet and to be supported. That is affected by LDS indoctrination. Literally, we, de- we, we don't feel like we feel like we have to earn the right to be on the planet and we're supported when we're worthy. That is a complete incongruence mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, there is no grace there. there. In fact, in the church, we never talk about anything that has to do with grace, but the fact that it, it is our innate birthright to be on the planet and to, to follow our own uh, chart, our own course. Yeah. And that's right there at the root chakra. Of course, our sexuality is heavily impacted with the purity culture and that's the second chakra. And so much, especially in women, LDS um, teachings have just caused us to shut down that creative uh, power and to, you know, many of them haven't even had orgasmic feelings and the, the, whatever is going on in the bedroom is so vanilla. They've never even accessed their own uh, pleasure centers to awaken some of those chakras. The third, your personal power and your courage is affected. That fourth heart chakra, like I said, it was manipulated with shutting down that intuitive gifts. The fifth chakra, especially for women, we're not encouraged to speak our truth, especially when it goes against what men are trying to instill in us. Yeah. <laughs> so very shut down and we haven't found our voice. And of, of course, that third eye is shut down because we're only allowed to see so much and we're 
everything we do see is dictated to us and and given meaning through the theology that um the the church offers us and of course that closes down the crown chakra and so the book that i wrote after doing this is uh called the uh a peculiar transition healing mm. the healing oh my gosh i can't remember the, t- the subtitle of <laughs> My book, Healing the Trauma of Mormon. All the time. You're like, I wrote this. How am I not remembering? I know. <laughs> Healing the Trauma of Mormon Faith Crisis, I think it is, but it's a peculiar transition. I'll cite it. I'll yeah, and sure I go through all seven chakras and I yes. identify how the theology is so incongruent with our, our true development and the psyche of, of our own mind and our own body and how to reclaim it and rebirth ourselves. And so, Absolutely. You know, when you understand those energy fields, of course, it's going to break your heart when you hear someone is taught not to trust their intuition or listen to the heart, because it's like you, you're shutting down a soul and all of their spiritual mechanisms are, are completely, if they're heavy and they're burdened and they're sticky and for someone that, that has been living in that life for years and years and generations upon generations, they don't even know what it feels like to be fully lit up. Yeah. And to me, yeah. that that's what I want to do. I think you're in the same business as of how can yeah. I help people <laughs> wake up and see their brilliance and get on the path that is uniquely set for them. Well, and I love, especially in conversations you and I have had, you and I share the same. In fact, I would love for you to share the dragonfly symbology for you and how you use that in what you're doing now. Because one of the biggest pieces that I hold very dear to my heart is the fact that we all are choosing the experiences that we have, even being Mormon, even being born into the lineage that we are for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, everyone has such a personal belief as far as what their, the reasons are. And to think that we need to pull someone out is not, is not what we're here to do, but I, I am those that are choosing to step out. I'm a hundred percent here to help them like you with here, you know, here's the light. Here's how I can assist you in finding your own, those things within you that you're asking just to ignite and reignite again. Um, so I would, yeah, if you don't mind, I would love for you to dive into the dragonfly. And as you're wearing one, you have this beautiful picture behind you, the dragonfly and the symbology. I think it's quite stunning and how you incorporate that in a lot of the speaking and the teaching that you do. Well, I do. Uh, I am passionate about the dragonfly. And I will tell you like the fastest rendition usually. Why? But we'll begin oh, shoot, with pause. It, it like cut out for a minute. So the last thing I heard is the fastest, the fastest rendition. That was the, oh, so yeah, this this will be my quickest version of the, of the dragonfly and this, uh, the synchronicities between someone going through a faith transition and uh, the emergence of a dragonfly. And so dragon, dragonfly mama, she's actually called the damselfly will drop her baby eggs, a clutch of many times over a hundred eggs into a swamp water a body of water and after it hatches it will become this little muddy um they call it a a nymph bug and it just looks like a you know an unassuming water beetle it's brown and ugly and you wouldn't even recognize it even if you saw it under the water and so this beetle captures plankton and little tiny fish and it lives this aquatic life and it even will um lose its exoskeleton between five and 18 times before it even has its debut. 
And so it's kind of used to having transitions, but it doesn't know that eventually one of the transitions will be its most epic transition. And I imagine the law under the water for dragonflies is don't go above the surface of the water. For if you do, you shall surely die because those who do never come back. (laughs) And so imagine a dragonfly whose body is so full of its new or a dragon nymph whose body is so full of its dragonfly body. Literally, its body is three times the size of its nymph body. Hmm. Inside there, it's so deeply uncomfortable for it that it it's looking to relieve the pressure inside. And so many times that's what members of the church will, will be feeling is like there is either something more or there's some policy coming down the pipeline that is so incongruent with me. And I'm starting to see things that don't add up. And you start asking the forbidden questions, the elegant forbidden questions. And mm-hmm. as you do, you start to, to give yourself permission to access resources um, that are available now at the touch of a fingertip right. to where you can actually do that study. And for a dragonfly under the cover of night, they will toggle in between breathing oxygen, the forbidden oxygen, and drink and breathing the water that they were born in, oxygen, water. And this gives their, their body, um, it kind of like primes the pump, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do it at night by themselves alone because they could be captured by prey if it's done during the day. And so that to me represents so many times members of the church, they don't have anywhere to go with their questions. They don't want to reveal that they're doubting. And so there's no forum for them to talk about the questions that they're having. And so they, they kind of do it all by themselves. And there has been entire families deconstruct all by themselves. And they don't even know that their family has deconstructed or even couples. You know, they'll one day say, honey, I don't believe in the church and I'm so sorry. And, she go, and the, the spouse will say, me too. <laughs> and so now they can talk about it together. And so we do it in these secret places because there is no place to do, us, do it in the sunlight. So then that dragonfly decides, you know what? I think it's ready for me to leave the water. Everything that I know, there's something inside me that wants to climb up this reed into the light of day. And as they do that, um, that's when that internal hydraulic system starts to pump the water out and bring the oxygen in. And that process of pumping the water out, bringing the oxygen in, literally cracks open the top of their head. And that giant dragonfly body begins to emerge and that exoskeleton falls away for the very last time. And as it pumps the oxygen in, it starts to unfold this giant thorax, again, three times the size of its nymph um, body. And then imagine as it continues to pump the oxygen in, wings emerge. And in those wings, there is not one dragonfly wing that is the same as any other dragonfly wing. Mm -hmm. And the difference between a butterfly and a dragonfly and how their wings operate is uh, it's a little bit more complex where butterfly wings, will they will uh, flap tandem with each other. Mm-hmm. And dragonfly wings operate independently of each other. And so I imagine that there is kind of like a uh, skill set that needs to be learned. But everything that they needed to learn, they learned in the water the water prepared them. And unfortunately, so many times we'll shake our little dragon fly fist at the water and say, damn you water, look what you've done to me. 
not realizing that all of the things that we experienced in that life are actually going to prepare us for our superpowers in the next life. And I'm going to talk about that, what those superpowers are in just a minute. But as that body emerges, I can't imagine how that dragonfly is thinking, I thought I was an aquatic animal and here Mm -hmm. I am on land. And what are these wings? I'm not only a land animal, I'm an aerial animal. Mm-hmm. And they have to find new food. Now I got to eat mosquitoes. So in that place, um, that dragonfly has to leave its body. And I've seen, I'm kind of nerdy in the way that I watch a lot of dragonfly documentaries. I love <laughs> it. It's interesting to see some of the dragonflies will hold on so firmly to their old body. They don't want to leave it because it's everything they know. I imagine, you know, mm-hmm. and eventually they do have to let go of their body because they are really um, vulnerable mm-hmm. um, to becoming prey in somebody's lunch. <laughs> so yeah. they have to learn how to, how to fly in this world all by themselves and in, 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 in a new environment. And many times as members of the church, we just stick there to our body and we're not able to ever get take off and to get have that maiden flight. Mm-hmm. And so um, because we, we believe other people need to understand our journey and we believe that we, we want to convince them that we're still a good person. Yeah. I mean, I know I look weird. I'm a dragonfly and I cross the water and everything, but you guys, it's awesome up here. Please come on up. You've got to look, you're, you're looking down the water and everyone's swimming and they're all happy. And you're like, no, you guys were dragonflies. Mm-hmm. But if, if imagine if you deep, if you reach down and you drag one of those nymph bodies up out of the water, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's they're not ready. Yeah. It won't survive because it hasn't asked the same questions that you've been asking. And until they do, they're going to thrive in that environment. They're not meant to come out until they start asking the relevant questions. And so um, your job is to focus on you and your growth and your development. And um, to me, the most threatening thing to a church that I'm experiencing now is people who are healthy and thriving, not in spite of because of where they were raised, but because of it. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just so many parallels in the dragonfly. And that, those are the, the main ones I, I'll share with you. But one thing that I did right after I wrote the dragonfly story is that it wasn't until I discovered I was being deceived by the source that I was conditioned to trust the most that I learned to trust the voice within. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay that I got man- manipulated. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, that intuition was manipulated because eventually I would recognize that, that clear, pure voice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I lost my superficial community of church friends that I began seeking real, lasting, authentic relationships. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I lost the identity that had been given to me through indoctrination that I discovered who I really am. It wasn't until I lost relevance with my family, my friends, even my children and parents for leaving that I stopped trying to please them all and stopped betraying myself. It wasn't until I lost membership in the church that claims to be the one and only true church that I found deeper association with God and all of humanity. Evidently, I needed to be told what to think and believe in order to appreciate the privilege and the freedom of thinking for myself. 
And that trick was to transform the pain and the suffering into resilience and power. For me, I understand that that grief is unbearable at the time that you leave. You're grieving all that you ever knew. And it feels like the earth is is crumbling beneath your feet, but as lonely and as scary um, as it feels. And sometimes you're even doubting the choice that you're making. After that life quake, and you you make the the digging and you dig under the rubble and you're looking for yourself and you're rebirthing yourself, you will rebirth yourself into a better version of yourself because of what you experienced. An even better person because of your challenges than you ever could be had you never had them. And so for me, no one can convince me that I've been a victim of the church or being raised in a cold because all I see now is that I have been gifted. It is my gift. And for that, I'm honestly grateful. That's beautiful. So that's my dragonfly story. And I also use it as a model, um, the dragonfly anatomy of the dragonfly as a model for coaching clients who are creating a new life for themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. I loved all of that. Wendy. It's like, oh, I love it. <laughs> Stunning. Is there anything as we kind of wrap up our time together, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners who are maybe moving through this transition of leaving or are are thinking about leaving and not quite sure how? I I have uh, six things and I go from really quickly here um, that really have helped my clients and myself um, to be able to climb out and start rebirthing ourselves in a really effective way that we start to feel stable and start to have that clarity and start to operate um, through our inner guidance and that intuition. And that is, I use the dragonfly eyes to represent vision. We have new vision and nothing is limited to us anymore. The dragonfly or the nymph, when it's in the water, it just has regular eyes. I don't know how many lenses they have, but when they, when they become a dragonfly, they have about 30,000 lenses. Mm. 30,000 lenses. And so now we have a a, a completely different peripheral view. Everything is open to us and available to us. So it is our responsibility to find a vision for ourselves and capture that vision for ourselves. And then I, I use the thorax to represent our intuition, that guidance that will guide us to that vision and making that vision a reality. And then the other four things I, I use as the wings. And that is the, our focus, making sure our focus is not in the rear view mirror, but in the windshield <laughs> so that we're driving forward and we're focusing on our future and our vision and our goals. The second thing is to align your habits with where it is you're going so that, you know, you become really honest about, okay, are, are the things that I'm doing going to get me to where it is I want to go? Yeah. Um, the third wing is to focus on your skills. When you leave the church, you recognize that you're kind of underdeveloped in your ability to make friends and your ability to make choices and everything was influenced by the church. And so it kind of gets a little awkward to become the sovereign authority in your life and to trust yourself. And so there is skill set, there's boundaries, there's emotional maturity, there, there are um, all kinds of things to come from a place from within rather than depending, becoming so codependent on the church mm-hmm. to tell us, you know, what to do that the skill set we learn in our church is really insufficient is what I'm trying to say. So we need new skills. 
And then the last thing is community and support to surround yourself with people who honor your vision and who see where you're going. Um, and people who are changing and are in that changing space, they recognize each other and they honor each other. Whereas if you're not growing and you're not in a pattern of growth and change, you experience people who will put you down and give excuses as to why you can't do and have what you want to do and have. So those six things kind of help put you on a new trajectory in your life and, and help you pull away from the things that were holding you down mm-hmm. so they can fully occupy your dragonfly body and start flying. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, awesome. Wendy, where can people find you if they're curious um, to get more about what you do? Yes. My website is wendyjensen.com. That's W. That's Wendy with an I. I, yes. Wendyjensen.com. J-E-N-S-E-N? Yes. Awesome. Okay. I'll and again, sure my, the show notes. my support group, again, is Empowered Former LDS. And that's on Facebook. And we might have to make some adjustments with that, considering the social media formats are kind of wobbly right now. I know, right? I Yeah. I was actually kind of getting excited the other day when they were going down. I'm like, yes. Yeah. We're <laughs> right? always in transition. The whole world yeah. is becoming dragonflies right now. And we're all kind of feeling the labor pains of it. Uh, amen to that. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Wendy, thank you so much. Again, I will cite your books, your website, the Facebook group, and the show notes. But it was such a pleasure. And I get, I love that I got to do this twice. And I think I enjoyed this conversation a little bit more than our last one. So oh, good. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be able to be on your podcast. And I'm so happy for the things that you're doing too. And that you're kind of in this space where we're helping people to really discover themselves and their true potential and to be joyful again. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So appreciate you, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And as always, what a beautiful conversation and really, truly fascinating to listen to really what she's developed and and what she's created. If you want to find more about Wendy, you can go to her website, wendyjensen.com. And I will put that in the show notes. And it's Wendy with an I and Jensen with two E's. Um, Her books, The Healing Questions Guide, I know you can find that on Amazon as well as A Peculiar Transition, Healing the Trauma of Mormon Faith Crisis. And both of those books I will also link. What is refreshing about Wendy is she is someone that has created a system from a healed state. And there's a lot of people out there that are trying to assist the ex-Mormon community and those that are having a faith transition or faith crisis, and they're doing it from a non-healed place. And what happens is it just cultivates the anger, the injustice of what's happening, and really doesn't serve all of us. And so I'm grateful for Wendy and what she's doing, and the really the beautiful tools that she's created, I think, are quite stunning. I just loved the dragonfly. So go check her out if this resonated, if you're wanting to connect with her. And as always, like, subscribe, share this podcast, leave me a five-star review, and remember you're not alone. You're not alone in your journey. You've got this. And if you're wanting some more resources that I have to offer, head over to my website, amandajoyleveland.com. And remember, we're all here. We're all here together. We're all in this together. You've got this. You're not alone. Sending you so much love.